Get Up Nation. I hope you're enjoying the Get Up Nation podcast on www.anchor.fm. As a podcast host on over 20 platforms, I really enjoy how easy it is to use Anchor, how Anchor makes everything I need available in one place for free, accessible on your smartphone or desktop computer. Go to www.anchor.fm now. In case you didn't know, Anchor has creation tools that allow you to record and edit each episode. If you're concerned about the distribution of your hard work, don't sweat it because Anchor takes care of that too. If you're considering becoming a podcaster, I would highly recommend Anchor as your choice to begin sharing your content with the world. Get Up Nation. My name is Ben Biddick. I am the creator and host of the Get Up Nation podcast, where I serve individuals, organizations, and societies to develop and sustain resilience and perseverance. I'm the co-author of Get Up, The Art of Perseverance, with former Major League Baseball player and CEO of Wurong Living, Adam Greenberg. The Get Up Nation podcast is brought to you in partnership with GotYour6Coffee.com, where Navy veteran Eric Hadley is committed to serving first responders, veterans, and their families through a variety of nonprofit organizations. No stranger to adversity, Eric has fused necessity of coffee with his passion for public service. You're already purchasing coffee. Why not empower your coffee with purpose? Why not purchase coffee that not only has your six, but also has the backs of those who don a uniform of service for our communities and great country? Learn more about Eric and his freshly roasted award-winning coffee at gotyoursixcoffee.com. Welcome to this episode of the Get Up Nation podcast. Recently, I had the honor and privilege of speaking with Brenda Neckbottle. Brenda is an experienced human resource professional and business consultant with vast experience spanning 30 years. She's worked for five Fortune 500 corporations, consulted over 450 C-suite executives, and led the reference HR infrastructure within four small businesses. She's also the host of the Best Practices in Human Resources podcast, where she covers current HR topics, news, and trends impacting businesses of all sizes. If you're looking for human resources consulting services or you're a human resources practitioner who needs an experienced soundboard, Brenda has you covered. I'm excited to discuss with Brenda how organizational leaders can thrive through the COVID-19 pandemic and face their human resource challenges head on during this tremendous time in human history. Brenda, welcome to Get Up Nation. Thank you so much. It's glad to be here. Yeah, so glad to have you here. Looking forward to drawing out some of your expertise and sharing it with my audience so that we can face these challenges with COVID-19 together and in a resilient fashion. As you know, largely what we focus on here is helping people develop and sustain resilience. And it sounds like based on your bio that you've experienced some resilience as you dealt with dyslexia early in life and you transformed that adversity into success by transitioning from a C, D, and F student into magna cum laude graduate and a master's degree. Will you share a little bit about your experience dealing with this challenge? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up, you know, I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania. And, you know, back in the 70s, when I was in grade school, and later in the 80s, when I was in middle school and high school, you know, they didn't know as much about dyslexia as they do today. And in fact, they kind of didn't really even have a name for it. And so I was supposedly tested for learning disabilities. And I remember actually taking the test, but everything came back as negative. But, you know, here we are in a, a much more advanced world today than what we had back then. 
And it wasn't until I was 32 that I had a coworker that had made mention that I said something very strange. I mean, not just like, I mean, just my normal strangeness, but it was very specific. I said something backwards and it didn't make sense. And then I said something else again, where I kind of left something out and it just, it, it's like he knew what I was trying to say. And he's like, have you ever been tested for being dyslexic? And I go, no. I said, not to my knowledge. I said, I said, I think I was when I may have been in school. I said, I remember going through some tests. Why? He goes, because you do exactly the same thing that I do. And I'm dyslexic. So I went in and I got, yeah, an assessment done. And, and you know what? I got, I, I have it. And so I, I don't see letters like confused or misshaped and or upside down. But what I do is I process information differently, which is a lot of what dyslexic is, uh, dyslexia is all about. And so, you know, I never was able to really fully grasp everything that everyone was saying. And it wasn't until I actually learned how to reread as an adult. And I mean, I sit, used to sit down with a dictionary. And when I would get to something in a book that didn't make sense, I would open up a dictionary and actually start reading the root word of whatever that sentence was. And once I understood, I could understand it through the meaning. And then it made sense to me. So because just sometimes the cadence and rhythm is off. Once I did that, then I was able to apply that same discipline. I went back to school and finished my degree and just absolutely crushed it. And it wasn't, you know, the thing about people who are dyslexic is that we're, we're, we're survivors in the fact that we find ways to cope. But I can speak for myself on this is that silently my world is very frustrated because I don't always understand what people are saying or I don't understand their intention and I've learned how to communicate in a way that's effective for me so that I can understand what other people are saying. And sometimes somebody will say something and I'm like, okay, could you please say that again, but just reword it. Cause I just totally did not get what you were trying to tell me and it works. And you know, it, it wasn't until later in life that I got it, but once I got it, man, my whole world just blew up. I mean, it just, yeah. And I felt good about being a student again. I got straight A's in college. You know, I went to a very good private school. I crushed it again with my master's degree and everything that I do. And sometimes, sometimes I just run into something and, you know, it, it just, it, I just kind of sit there and go, yeah, they didn't just say that, did they? <laughs> that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's also helped, you know, the, the skill that you get before before you, I'd not say fix it because you can never fix it, right? I'm just wired this way. This is how I am. But it gives me a chance to really interpret and read the world in a completely different manner. So people who have dyslexia or, or disabilities like this, our emotional intelligence is extremely high as a result of that because we have to rely on different instincts and different abilities to read and interpret information. And certainly you've described how your world exploded as you learned how to, to deal with this and to cope with this. And I mean, your your resume is amazing. You're working with so many different companies and businesses. You're helping people thrive left and right. You have your podcast. You have all these things that you're serving people with. Will you tell me what's led to your interest to be in the human resources field? Yeah. So I knew that I wanted to pursue a career in business, but nothing was really lighting me up. And when I first heard the term human resources and somebody was complaining about having to do benefits, I went, oh, yeah, I don't ever want to do that. <laughs> I just forget <laughs> it. It's like benefits and doing that is not turning me on whatsoever. But I thought that's all it was. And then it wasn't until I started working for CarMax that I really got 
a very good wraparound as to what that meant. And then I got into a position that was a very entry level, I wouldn't call it a generalist position. I mean, it kind of is and it kind of isn't. It's more of a position where you administer the HR function based off of a lot of rules and guidelines and direction, but you really are a person of influence in the company. You're not a decision maker, but you have access to everything. And it, you know, it taught me that just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? And that was kind of our philosophy back then. And everything has a, a you know, a sense of propriety, which, you know, I kind of have that that's kind of built into who I am too. So it was a fit. And, but it was really cool is that I, I saw all of these, I mean, I worked for, in the location that I worked in at the time, we had over 218 employees. And it was nice to be able to help people that I worked with and get their answers and find solutions to their problems. And I really liked that part. And so I said, this is what I want to do. You know, certainly this aspect of it. But little did I know that it was just that element of helping people find solutions to their problems and so that they could, you know, get some sort of ease or feel better about things is really what I was after. It's just HR provided that vehicle for it. That's great. Yeah, I can really sense how you developed a sense of purpose. You developed a sense of meaning that gives our work significance. When you know that you're solving problems for people you see every day and being in a vital role that helps them, their burdens or transitions or concerns, that's got to be a very satisfying role. It is. It is. And that's what led me to build this community that I have for women because it's a it's a feminine driven industry for sure but we also have men in the group too and because I remember what it's like having to figure all this stuff out by yourself it was invigorating to find the answer but at the same time it was also very frustrating because you're you're so isolated as a result of that I'd like to kind of talk about there's a number of challenges that companies are facing today there's a lot of new technology happening and and what are some of the techniques that successful organizations are using to optimize their employees' skills and passions with all this technology, but without losing those soft skills that enhance work satisfaction? Yeah. So, you know, we're at the very early stages of all of this. And right now, you know, we're still kind of in a crisis management predicament. I mean, not, or maybe not, I think we may be at the peak or just rounding the peak as far as the first wave goes, a lot of companies, as we know, have had to, you know, reduce their workforce or, you know, just about anybody in any state is now, if they can work from home, they are. You know, as this pandemic continues and, and how the com- country is able to address it until, in my opinion, modern medicine catches up with what's going on, we've really just had to suddenly adapt to a whole new way of being in just almost every aspect of our worlds. You know, we're very social creatures and now here we are being forced into isolation. And that was, remember I mentioned something before is that that community is about addressing the isolation. So there's a lot of things, there's a lot of things that people are doing, you know, they're, they're concerned about the vi- you know, the viability of their organization. You know, people are concerned about the rising unemployment and, you know, other companies that are forward-thinking companies are looking ahead at how can we skill up our employees? What are some of the things that we can do to adopt to make ourselves better now? You know, and, and not that anybody isn't as equally committed to making sure that their business is sustainable, but everybody's approaching it 
in a wide variety of ways. So to say that one mission-based company is doing better than a non-mission-based company or people that may not necessarily you know, have a mission in place or have that kind of strategic focus, is n- I don't think it's fair to say that those things, one can be compared against the other because right now it's survival of the fittest, but there's a lot of influence in media, things that I'm doing. I've got a, actually a workshop next week I'm delivering on how to build a remote workplace culture. And so I think everybody's just figuring it out right now. Small businesses that they've started in their garage or they just don't have the infrastructure like a more supported organization where like ingenuitive thinking and they're a little bit more laxed on allowing, they have a little different trust level on allowing employees to really kind of create their job, so to speak. And, but yet still get the work done. I think companies that have been more used to managing their employees closer to the best, they're the ones that are kind of really feeling the stretch on this. And they don't really necessarily know how. I know a big fear that a lot of companies, a lot of leaders will have is, and you know, that their employees are not doing anything when they're at home working. Well, it's not like right now we can all just go out. Right. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> It's <laughs> not like we could just say, hey, I'm working from home today, and you do it from the mall. You know, I mean, it's, it's kind of a different atmosphere right now. So everybody is feeling the uncomfortableness of all of this. And there isn't anybody here that isn't, and including people like myself who are in the crisis management aspect of business. We're busy. <laughs> I mean, I get I have 16-hour days just keeping up. Yeah. Yeah, when you think of the concept of resilience during this time in the light of the human resources perspective, you know, what are the thoughts that immediately come to mind as you consider how these companies can be resilient, how these employees can be resilient, how leaders can lead effectively? What are what are some resilience concepts that you find valuable during times like these? Well, I think right now is a great time and it's hard to do this. Right? The first part of this in the in the statement or the second part of the statement I'm about ready to make is the hardest part. But now is the time to bring people together in the table and to not be afraid of exploring something new. And it's that not being afraid piece that is the hardest because everything we're doing right now is based on fear to begin with, right? We're, we're all in some level of concern. And that's a very fair statement to make. But when it comes to allowing people to influence your business, especially if you own it and it's your baby and it's your puppy dog. And that's usually what a lot of this is in small business is that to allow people to influence that course in that direction, even with the intention of making it big, that is a paradigm shift for some people to get past, especially when they've either never done it before, they've never considered it before, and they even know that there's value in doing it letting go of what we know is a challenge. I mean, that's a humbling experience for anybody because in in life we play in three levels. We know what we know, and then we know what we don't know. A lot of us right now are playing in the we don't know what we don't know (laughs) element of this. And that really is where personal exploration exists and personal growth. It's being comfortable with with being uncomfortable. And so that's a task right now for a lot of people because we're all uncomfortable every single one of us, from our kids, to our spouses, to our best friends, to even just you as an individual with nobody else in the house, to your dogs, because they're not used to you being around, and your cats, right? Everybody's in a shift right now. And what have you noticed in your time in human resources 
that certain people rise to the occasion, certain people feel almost a sense of happiness when things are challenging because they they thrive in that kind of environment. They like it when it's not cut and dried, when it's when they have to innovate, when they have to think on their feet. What have you noticed about people like that and how they affect organizations during times of stress? Well, it, it kind of depends. Is It depends on the other people's receptors, right? And you had some really great call-outs, and, and this is really what I've seen. So you've got, you know, people who can be those supercharged people and they're just like they're going to find the silver lining in the cloud and the storm no matter what it is. No matter what it looks like, they're going to find it. And then you've got your individuals who are just like, okay, you know what, I'm safe, I think. (laughs) And I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because complacency is what keeps me safe. And, you know, those are your steady eddies and there's nothing wrong with those people. There's nothing wrong with having steady eddies. And they're going to be the ones that may not necessarily be easily swayed into something, but they're also not the ones that you're going to have to really do battle with when trying to convince them of a change or something like that, right? They know that they need to go along with it. They may not necessarily like it or always agree with it, but you know what? They're not they're not going to be the ones that cause a lot of challenges either. And in my opinion, that's about 75 to 80% of the workforce. You have your 10%, you know, the ones that are out there and just leading the charge and getting after it and like, you know, we're going to get this and, you know, you know, screaming, you know, some military battle cry with who you after it or something like, you know, I mean, it's like, those are, those are those guys. Right. But then you've got this other 10% that will suck the life out of you. (laughs) And, And you love them just as much. But, you know, you wish you could love them from afar. And, you know, these are the folks that (laughs) these are the folks that you constantly have to do battle with. They're the ones that aren't showing up. They're the ones that you do worry about. Right. They're the ones that don't bite when you need them to, you know, jump online and do what it is that they need to do. Right. There's always going to be a portion of those guys. What's unfortunate is that when we have to do battle with that grendel, so to speak, what happens is that our our vision becomes narrowed and tunneled because that's just the conversation we're constantly in. And it, it really does exasperate a lot of your energy to the point where you tend to not pay much attention to your steady eddies and your hard chargers. But you know what, that's in some respects, that's kind of okay because they're the ones that you don't have to worry about the most, right? They're the ones you have to worry about the least. The ones you have to worry about the most you're engaged with. So, you know, when stuff happens, when change happens, I tend to see the same kind of very rough, you know, a numeric measurement with these particular groups. And when it happens, it's always the ones that are against the, the changing of the tide, the ones who are always creating the challenges that take the most out of you. But you have to make just as much of a commitment to the ones that are doing the job and doing everything so that you're not letting them feel like they're being left behind. That is a fine balance. That it is, is. Uh, <laughs> That's a delicate walk at times. It, yes, some more than others. And sometimes you have to cross the lines, you know? Yeah. Let's see. So let's talk about your podcast a little bit. Will you share a little bit about what you're doing with that and how you're reaching people and and how you're creating positive impact? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a fun show. At least I think it's fun. (laughs) But (laughs) 
I get so what I did in the doing this podcast. It's it, it serves two purposes. Number one, it gets vital information out there to people who don't have. And remember, I'm addressing that whole isolation piece in HR, right? People that don't, if they're working as an HR person of one, or they're working in a very small team where they're leading a team, or they got into HR and you know it's just kind of like congratulations, all of a sudden you're an HR person and you have no idea how to do this job, right? This is this is really who the audience for. And it's also for, you know, people that want to learn a little bit more about it or managers who are looking for information as to why we do the crazy things that we do in HR. Right. So that's really who it's intended for. And the first part of the the show, you know, I do call outs on, you know, if we have employment law changes, we've employment poster changes, which is everybody's favorite subject, but it's the easiest compliance win, too. And it's the one thing that you can very quickly let slip away and look, just get it done. Right. So I just throw that information out there as a, Hey, listen, this state, you guys have a poster update, this state, you have a poster update. You know, it's just, that's just the way it works, you know, and, and, and teaching people when to look for those types of things. We always see major changes in legislation at the beginning of every year and in mid-year. So when we do midterm year uh, adjustments and changes in law, it's always either in January and July when we start seeing, you know, a lot of changes. So that's, that kind of gives people some indirect repetitive exposure. So that kind of sticks, right? Makes them, makes them be able to do their job a little bit easier. And then we talk about topics that mean something, right? I'm not sitting here telling, constantly telling people how to build and craft like a job description. I'm actually talking about complex, comprehensive, and sometimes complicated things that often have a simple solution that people just don't realize. Or sometimes they're learning stuff that they didn't even know was a problem. A while ago, I did an episode on, you know, the risks of Slack. And Slack is a great tool. I mean, I like Slack. Don't get me wrong. I think instant messaging is great. I'm known in, in when I had companies, I worked in companies where we had IM technology. I loved it because I didn't have to pick up the phone and bother somebody. I say, hey, when you get a chance, can you talk? Or, hey, listen, did you get that file? Boom. You know, if it was just something where it was time sensitive or it was more urgent and it was just short micro messaging and I loved it. Right. And the other person could do this, you know, just right. Yeah, I got it. Check. We're all good. And moving forward. Right. And it was awesome. I loved it. But what that type of technology can also do and a lot of small companies that are trying to adopt it if they don't understand that one employees that complain about workplace conditions on an instant messaging service that is protected by law is protected by national labor relations that is okay the nlra that is uh, that is fine that's perfectly fine you can't do anything about it, it doesn't do anything for your morale Right. And it certainly means that you have a problem, even if the person is a troublemaker, it's still protected. So other things, too, is that employees can talk about things that can actually potentially get you into trouble. So not to mention, it's also, you know, how much time are they dedicating to doing chat on instant messaging rather than actually doing their work? And one of the cases that I cited, you remember the whole Hulk Hogan sex tape thing? You remember that? I don't. Okay, short version. That's okay. Short version. There was a company whose employees during this whole outbreak, when he 
was trying to sue for the, the release of this tape. Well, one of these major media companies were, and behind the scenes, their employees were, you know, making jokes and kind of comparing us to what they saw. And it was very inappropriate conversation. Well, here's the thing that company wasn't managing that. They didn't know that that conversation existed. And when they had their record subpoena, guess what also got called into evidentiary support was the transcripts of all that instant messaging. Turned out that that was part of the evidence that when Hulk sued that company, it actually was supportive of Hulk's case. And they lost a $140 million lawsuit. He won. It was huge. And eventually, guess what happened to that company? Doesn't exist anymore. So... You know, so those are kind of some of the things that I talk about. Things that you, I mean, you, even yourself, you're on reaction. You would have never known that that was an issue. And what companies like Slack do, which is, like I said, it's great. But if, if you incorporate it into your own IT, your IT department is more opt to say, hey, listen, we do need to monitor this. This is stuff that's, you know, in our wheelhouse. We understand what this is. We work with HR. That's great. But you have small businesses that sign up for the free version of it. Well, who do you think actually owns that data? It's not you. So what happens if your employees are saying something like what they did with the whole Hulk Hogan thing? You're screwed. <laughs> and you can't get it because their our policies don't allow them to release it. So you don't own it. Yeah. So, you know, so we talk about things like that, right? And it is, it's very helpful. We've got great guests that came on. I just actually, the, the, most recent episode that is out right now, or by the time you guys hear it, is now passed, but is a woman that I've been following since 2007. Her name is the Evil HR Lady. That's the moniker that she goes by. So we have Brenda the HR Lady and the Evil HR Lady online talking together, and, and we had a great conversation, right? And we've been both doing this for the same amount of time, and she's an awesome lady. You know, I've had, you know, Navy SEAL friends of mine that have come on because they have really great things to put out there as far as how to deal with people. And, and, you know, we just we just keep the mix alive, right? We just keep the subject matter moving forward. And, of course, right now everything is dealing with the coronavirus because that's relevant, you know, and it's important. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's great. That brings me to my next question. And it, it sounds like in 2016 you began working as, as an executive coach with the Honor Foundation. And will you share a little bit about your purpose there and the meaning you found in these interactions, particularly with regard to the Navy SEAL community? Oh yeah, I love doing this. I abs so I absolutely love volunteering in the community, and it's it's expanded my reach into the special ops community as a whole. It started in 2014. I went down to Raleigh. I was at a, a show doing something, and somebody had introduced me to this guy. He says, "Yeah, we do transition for you know special operations." Uh, operators. And I said, oh, that's cool. And he said, we'd love to have you come aboard, help write resumes and do mock interviews. And I'm like, oh, sign me up. And I had at the time, a lot of clients that were up in DC area that I think all of them actually came, they were army rangers at one point. And so, you know, they have a different approach to the world. And I'm relatively a direct person when it comes to dealing with business, not so much the fluffy HR person, although I can turn that up when I need to. But, you know, when it comes to talking to somebody about their company, I, I, the fluff stays out. And I'm just like, well, here's your options. You know, this is what you can do. And, you know, these guys are like, are you effing serious? And I'm like, you know, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's what they want. They want some, 
disappointed to say, yes, I am serious about this. And you can do this, but here's what you're going to be up against. And if you do it, because that's how they operate, right? So anyway, so I had a job shift and I thought, man, I just, you know, that, so that company actually, I never heard from him again. I tried reaching out to him several times. And so I let it sit, but it always sat with me. And I don't know why. I mean, I don't know anybody in the SEAL community when I made the decision. I did, hardly knew anything about them. I mean, I, I had known about them. I knew that they were, you know, special operators. I, I, that was it, right? I knew that they were elite. And something in my gut said, okay, go back to doing this, but do it with the SEAL community. Just focus on the SEALs. And I, and I, like I said, I had no idea why, none whatsoever. So I reached out to the Navy SEAL Foundation and told them what I was interested in. They sent me over to the Honor Foundation, which just so happened to be starting their first class on the East Coast. And so I was one of the first original executive coaches that joined. And it was a class, uh, 16 people, one EOD tech, two guys were SWIC and the rest were SEALs. I made a lot of friends really fast and you know, just had their back just like normal. And that's just, I mean, it was just, it was just a fit, you know, and I loved it. And then a while after that, I really learned that those guys who want to go out and start their own business versus get a job, they don't have the business acumen. They don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. They, they know their craft, but how do you merge those two things together? So then I had started, which is not an operation right now, a 501c3 that was giving pro bono business consulting to, to SEALs just to help get them off. Because all you need to do is just point their, help them figure out where North is on their compass, and then they just go, right? You don't really have to hold their hand or do anything. you just like, yeah, you see that tree? Go eat it. You're like, okay, we'll do that, right? And they're a lot of fun. And I just, you know, I just found this passion in, in the community, and then I started finding other ways to dedicate my volunteer time in the SEAL community, and I absolutely love it. It's I'm surrounded constantly by good people. They help keep me honest, and meaning just by watching what they do and how they, you know, they all they are not that they're passionate. I mean, they have passion. Don't 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 get me wrong with that, but they also have strong ethics, and and I like that when they see something. They have a very clear sense of what's right and wrong, and I love that. And I'm, and in my world, that's that's in my brain too. So you know, there's a lot of things that fit, and just some fantastic people, really fantastic people. Yeah. Great. I also wanted to ask you about your experiences as you were invited to become a member of the Veteran Wellness Center Board of Directors. You've begun to bring awareness of the Americans with Disabilities Act to the civilian workplace. And you're helping veterans stay resilient as they transition. Will you share a little bit about this role? Yeah, absolutely. So the Veterans Wellness Center of Hampton Roads is actually operated. The president is a retired Navy SEAL who was from that very first class at the Honor Foundation. He's an awesome guy. His name is Nick Baggett. And Nick and I have a very good working relationship. We've become very, very good friends. And we just kind of tell each other like it is. And we have a tremendous amount of fun because he's he's just a goofball. And he's got a, a, a great sense of humor. And so when he introduced me to the building that this place resides in, and they're non-conventional forms of treatment. There we go. And it focuses like we've got a hyperbaric chamber up there. There's you know different types of electromagnetic therapy, things that modern medicine are starting to now accept. 
it's it's been on the forefront and then getting exposure to other members and other influencers within the SEAL community, actually continuing to do that right now as we speak with the local VA hospital just over here and making the appropriate introductions because the VA hospital wants to know how they can support the community more. And that's what I've been focusing in on right now is making, you know, getting, giving the opportunity to shake hands and everybody coming to the table and having these critical, important conversations. Because it's not just the SEALs, it's all the other people that support Naval Special Warfare as well. And so it really started with that, with that exposure and that experience. And, you know, I just networked, I was networking and I wound up talking to this executive director of the VA hospital. And he said, hey, this is what I'm interested in doing. And I'm like, I'm your girl. I'm on it. Let's get after it. And and we're having those conversations now, which is fantastic. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a little lost in some of it because, you know, I don't have direct exposure. But what I'm just excited to see happening is that people are coming together. And that's the cool part. Brenda, you, you have such an interesting background and the expertise that you have is phenomenal. And, and I just want to serve it up there. Get Up Nation is a group of people. It's a positive network of global people who are seeking to create positive and profound legacies of great impact. And really just appreciate you joining us today to give us insight into the HR world, to give us insight into the resources that you've created for people and really want to just offer everybody in Get Up Nation, just want to ask you to follow Brenda's work, to subscribe to her podcast, to listen to her episodes, help her achieve her amazing objectives. Just highly recommend you as somebody who is doing some just phenomenal work for, for the people in this world. And so in reference to that, I always end the show with six questions to help my listeners understand the why within my guests. Will you run through these six quick questions with me? Sure. All right. As you think back on your career and all you've experienced, who are you thankful for today? Oh, I am still thankful for my number one, my favorite boss in the whole wide world. He was my best mentor. We just went out to dinner. We hadn't seen each other in like 10 years. And I looked at him. He says, you're doing really well. And I said, and we used to play this game when he used to teach me. He said, like I'd say, say something. I said, okay, so I think I found the answer. And he said, you're wrong. And it was just this fun game that we played with each other. And I said, aren't you happy you were that I was wrong more often than you were right? I said, you know, first time, the only time in my life I get to tell you that you're wrong is now because you told me I didn't need an education to do what I'm doing. And he goes, all right, I'll eat that one. So... <laughs> That's great. And now that we've covered who you're thankful for today, what are you thankful for today? I am thankful for every opportunity that comes across my way, the ones that I took and the ones that I didn't take. And the ones that I pursued have opened the right doors. And the ones that where the doors didn't open really prevented me from going down a path that either I shouldn't have or wasn't going to produce anything. So I'm fine with disappointment. How do you fuel the fire within you? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. I know it's not with coffee. I know that's for sure. <laughs> I don't know. I, I tend to think that when I see that something has positive has come out of it, even if it's small, it makes me feel good. And that, that seems to be the kerosene right there. What is one thing adversity taught you to value? <laughs> Grow thicker skin. <laughs> and seriously. <laughs> Get used to no and get used to things not going the way that you want. But like I said, when it doesn't happen, like when you've got your heart set on something and it doesn't happen, that means that there's something else out there for you that is greater and will have a bigger purpose. 
and you just have to find you just have to find faith that that's true because and if you just take a breath and just kick back and be good with it you'll be amazed at what shows up what are you doing today you may have never thought you could marketing (laughs) (laughs) i am not the person i write marketing copy and i sound like a used car salesperson like brenda's crazy hr lot it's horrible i hate it but <laughs> I, I have it's awful. I feel so campy. So I've recently got connected with somebody who's a branding specialist that's helped me overcome and figure out how to put content out there without sounding like a you know 1970s cheesy marketing campaign manager. <laughs> and then what will you do tomorrow? You may have never thought you could. Oh, wake up. <laughs> So <laughs> <laughs> 16 hour days you feel like am I really gonna get any sleep or am I gonna be able to no tomorrow that I same thing I mean just I just stay open to what's new and you know everything that I'm doing I'm doing with the expectation that there's the next step but you have to you have to get through the current plateau to get to the to the rise in order to get to that next step so I don't know what those things are and I'm good with it, but I've just overcome that. I've put aside the mindset that I can't do something and just say, well, look how much you've accomplished so far. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Brenda, how can people learn more about you and your amazing work? Oh, well, you guys can follow me in several places. If you guys wanted to follow me on Instagram, I actually have two accounts because I'm an overachiever. You can find me on the best best practices in HR. Uh, you can also find me on Brenda, the HR lady on Instagram. Over on Facebook, you can find me on best practices in human resources. If you are an HR person, you want to join our community. It is the next gen women in HR. We have a Facebook group and then we also have a membership site where you can actually get the tools, but the group is pretty awesome. We've got uh, just under 130 people. It's only been around since the beginning of January of this year. So it's very active. They're awesome people. You can also find me on LinkedIn just by spelling out my name and that is Brenda Neckbottle and that's N-E-C-K, like the thing you want to choke. V as in Victor, A-T-A-L. And uh, you can also <laughs> find me over on YouTube under the under the same thing, Brenda Neckbottle, so. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brenda. It's been great to talk here today. 